Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the uh, editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you gently through another show. And uh, what a week it's been for uh, the PR industry. We're still sort of coming to terms with the big story, one of the biggest stories of the last 15 years. That's BCW merging with Hill and Knowlton. And we'll chat about that when we come to the topical subjects, but I'm here with my co-host, Frank Washgood. That was certainly a big story, wasn't it? Kept us busy last week. Yeah, definitely did, and um, a huge one. Yeah, we'll have some updates because WPP did a Capital Markets Day, and there's yeah. a bit more detail on that. So we'll catch up with that. Black mm-hmm. History Month starts tomorrow, and we've produced a hidden history family tree to reflect some of the diverse professionals that maybe don't get so much credit. We'll talk about that. Massive stories about in the agent in the agency world. AT&T has changed its roster, so we'll uh, get under the hood of that. Under Armour as well and UNICEF. We'll talk about bagels. Do they have to have holes or not? And why does that matter in a marketing context? And the usual bunch of Senior people moves. Well, we've got a great guest this week. It's Kevin Windorf, who's the president of the Financial Communications Society. He's also CMO North America at 2112 Communications. So, Kevin, welcome to the pod. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. And I guess the first question is, what is the Financial Communications Society? And uh, tell us what your role is there, you know, as, as president. And uh, you've been there almost a decade. Yeah. So, uh, but it's it's very much a volunteer organization as well, isn't it? Absolutely. So the FCS is a not-for-profit trade association. I always think we have a twist. Very simple mission statement, community, education, and philanthropy. And that's what makes us different. So sure, we're a trade association that brings people together. Very big on networking. The way we connect them is through educational events. We'll do more than 50 events across the country in person as well as virtual But at the end of the day, we're writing checks to support children's charities. We've donated nearly $3 million um, to over 65 children's charities since the year 2000. And most of those charities are selected by the the talent that we put up on our stage, usually senior level marketers at financial services and fintech companies. Now, are they on the client sides and the agency sides? Is that how it works? We primarily have the client side as our uh, lead guest speaker. And a lot of times we'll have agencies come in to either be um, additional panelists or to moderate and do interviews with the uh, the clients. So is there a heavy bias towards sort of New York as a financial center or does it stretch across the country? We are across the country. Sure, there's uh, a bias towards New York only because Boy, we were founded back in 1967 as the Advertising and PR Association of Wall Street. Story has it that it was a, a group of um, weekly revelers would get together at Harry's at Hanover Square. I was going to say, sounds like an excuse for a jolly and a nice lunch, yeah? Absolutely. <laughs> but I'll tell you, ever since 2010, we have expanded. So we have chapters up in Boston, Charlotte, Chicago, San Francisco, Philadelphia. We do an annual event uh, up in Stowe, Vermont. We just did that at the beginning of January, which is uh, a big charity event. It's business side. It's our marketing summit for the year, but 100% of the proceeds go to three children's charities. So what we do is we tie everything together, but it, we always say it starts with community. We're very big on building the connections between your core in-house corporate marketing communications professional, along with everyone they engage with in the industry, that's every type of agency, 
communications, creative, media buying, for example, as well as our media company partners for distribution. Right. So um, charity is a big part of it and giving back. But I guess you're also, are you bringing, since you're convening that audience, do you bring them together to talk about current issues, about the state of uh, different parts of the industry, maybe doing um, think pieces, white papers? Is that part of what you do as well? Absolutely. Content drives everything. Just this morning, we had an education summit up at the New York Yacht Club where we had a a sold out crowd uh, come in to hear uh, brand new research on customer engagement, customer experience, which is definitely a hot topic for 2024. We had a half hour presentation from a professor at Northwestern University talking specifically about AI. You've heard of that topic, right? I, AI. I have, yeah. And then we, we had uh, panels talking about uh, marketing leadership and strategy. So, you know, M&T Bank, JP Morgan Asset Management, Columbia Threadneedle, PGM, Guardian Life. Uh, it was a really good good selection of folks up on the stage. Yeah. Now tell us about where the industry is on AI. Obviously, finance is a massively regulated industry and there's a whole topic and certainly thinking back to Davos about regulation of AI, you know, how, how are we going to regulate something where even the people who kind of invented it don't really fully understand it or even trust it, actually. So if you then throw it up to the Congress or the the, reg, the politicians, we've all seen them, in, you know, doing they're, they're doing it actually this week. Um, they, they don't always shine when it comes to technology. So how would you assess where we are having heard that speech this morning in terms of AI and financial communications? So what I have to say is there is a tremendous hunger and curiosity. And from a competitive point of view, uh, whether you're at an agency or if you're in, inside at a financial services firm, you're, you're very conscious of you don't want to be left behind. You're out in the marketplace trying to learn as much as possible from your partners, trying to learn who's taking the first step ahead. As I said, AI was a topic this morning. We're doing an event on Monday where we have the results of uh, a sentiment survey we did in December. And I'll give you a little preview. One of the big topics for 2024 is investment in AI. And then a week later, we're going to be doing an event up in Boston, specifically talking about how AI is going to affect content and creativity. But I have to tell you, we are at the stage where I think it's just everyone is asking questions. And this reminds me of about 10, 12 years ago when I first started to run the FCS there was this thing called social media. Do you remember mm, that? I do. We actually had an event called Social Media 101. And I swear to you, it was a half hour of three panelists just asking the smart questions. And that's what I see is happening now with AI. People are asking the smart questions about how is this relevant? How, uh, how do I use it? To what degree is it a threat? And how do we balance it? So we're looking for some leaders to step up and, and show us the way. It's that significant, probably more so, actually. And, um, yeah, I wonder if uh, AI will turn into the cesspool that social media <laughs> did. That's that's unfair. There's a, there's There are cesspools out there. There's some really good stuff as well. But, uh, um, yeah, so what a, you talked about uh, that change in the last 10 years. Are there any other sort of trends that you've seen since you, since you started in that time in terms of what's on top of uh, communicators' agendas and maybe how the industry's changed? You know, is it a bit more work, 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 work and not so much fun? You know, sometimes you feel like it's at the grindstone, not just, you know, in, in PR generally, uh, let alone, you know, in the financial world. Well, we definitely see a lot of change And as far as the fun, 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 I I will say that over the last 10 to 15 years, there has been um, 
a pursuit of trying for financial services to come across as being more human. And you see that in a lot of campaigns. And one of the ways we watch this is we have a big award show every year, FCS Portfolio Awards. This year happens to be the 30th annual. So it's a big milestone for us. And a couple of weeks ago, I sat down and I looked at the evolution, the growth of this award show, which back in 95, it started out simply as a recognition award show primarily for ad branding and advertising, right? So your television, your print were the big winners. From 2010 on, we started to see the dominance of digital. So now, you know, say last year, probably 70% of the awards that were given out were touched on digital media. So we have seen, and you can, you can track it along with whether it's technology advancements or actually crises in the, um, in the financial industry, how uh, marketers have changed their messaging, changed their positioning. And we, and we award that, we recognize that in our portfolio awards. Just to bring you up to date, this year, boy, we have 38 different categories. And the, the new category this year is influencer marketing. Because that's mm -hmm. something that's just within, I'd say, the last two years has made an impact to the point where people say, you know, people being marketers and communications folks saying, hey, I'm spending all my time working on this. I would like to get recognized. I'd like to be able to go out, to, whether it's to my boss or to my clients, and say this is an important area that we should be investing in. Yeah. Where do you hold the event? Just some out of interest. So the last couple of years, we hold our event at the Ziegfeld Ballroom up here on uh, 54th Street. It's it's referred to as the financial marketing prom because we'll get go. 500 people, black tie. We give, Last year, we gave out about 240 trophies. You know, four, 500 entries come in, more than 100 different <laughs> companies. And, you know, that's the companies and their agencies submit awards. We're in the awards season right now. So our call for entries goes until February 21st. And then we have about 50 folks, again, agency as well as in-house corporate service judges. Judges, yeah. And then we announced our finalists in March, and then we bring everyone out to the award show and find out exactly what trophy they're winning. Yeah, we're familiar with that model. We have yeah. our own Oscars <laughs> of PR in March, so we're looking forward to those. Just tell us how, you know, you obviously we had the financial crisis in 2008-9. We had a bit of a wobble a year ago. Um, where do you think we're at now in terms of the financial industry? And, you know, it, everyone's trying to predict the economy, but it seems so much harder um, because whilst a lot of the big numbers are very positive, you don't get the vibe that on the ground people are feeling as positive as maybe the big numbers would indicate. What, what are your members saying about this? So a couple of things I want to say there is I mentioned that we did this sentiment survey, and I would say – as a generalization, the outlook for 2024 is fairly optimistic. At worst, it would be neutral. We do not have a lot of naysayers. So there's a really good feeling for 2024. And I think that is in part driven by folks working at banks, investment houses who are hearing their business colleagues talking about the potential for this bull market to, to continue and have a very healthy year. Um, tying it into the crisis and then that little blip we had, what's really been interesting is when you go back to 08, 09 and the financial crisis coming out of that, you had a lot of change on the communications messaging around trust and that whole thing of let them see us as people and started to focus on that. What we've found in this past year where there's been a lot of um, focus on interest rates, it sort of has given 
banks and asset managers more permission to talk about product, which we really haven't seen in, say, the five years prior. So I think there's also a, a growing sophistication of the consumer when it comes to things like investment products and being savvy about rates. And again, we're, we're seeing more product-specific campaigns. Okay, so it's going to be interesting. How do you think it's going to impact the election? You know, are we going to get, is uh, Joe Biden going to be able to sort of point to those numbers or is President, former President Trump, assuming he's the candidate, going to be able to sort of tap into the negativity that maybe is more on the ground level, street level? Or do you need a crystal ball for that one? (laughs) Well, the one thing is definitely predictable is that the financial services category by its very nature is incredibly conservative. And we will step away from anything political. We'll step away from anything where someone could leverage it to either uh, side of the aisle, if you will. Um, But they will be present because one thing we have learned, especially coming out of the crisis of 0809, is you have a competitive advantage if you stay vocal and visible. Yeah, for sure. And just to finish up, tell us a bit about 2112 Communications. That's your other um, uh, day job. Um, yeah. You're CMO of North America. Tell us a bit about that. So I, uh, I've been on the agency side for the last 10 years. I joined the team at 2112 uh, last May. Uh, they uh, are London-based. Um, and what spoke to me is because I've been working in financial services since age 17. I didn't know it looks like it was just yesterday. <laughs> uh, but 2112 is completely dedicated to uh, financial services with a specialization in investment management. We have a ton of uh, our clients working in EMEA. And my mandate is to bring in the, uh, the U.S. market um, for everything we do. You know, we, we position ourselves as the outcome-driven agency, and that's something that speaks a lot to me because having grown up on the client side, I always knew what I needed to measure. I had, you know, my bogeys to hit. So to be able to partner with an agency who's focused on not so much delivering the, the shiny penny, but coming in and saying, you know, what are your metrics? What are, your, what are the goals that you have to meet? It makes it very satisfying. Um, and, uh, you know, just to have all the, uh, the tools in-house, we're especially good with video and animation, um, but strategic messaging is, is something that speaks to me because um, I've been a content creator most of my uh, time in marketing. Yeah, and it's great having that client perspective when you are sort of advising clients and you've been in their shoes, I think. So that's good, uh, good to hear. Well, Kevin, thanks for telling us more about Financial Communication Society. Maybe we'll get an invite to the (laughs) fancy event. Who knows? But uh, it sounds like fun and keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Steve. All right, Frank, let's get back onto the BCW Hill and Knowlton train because that was the biggest story last week and possibly the biggest story of the last decade in PR. But uh, a couple of more developments this week. And we should say we've got uh, Corey de Brouwer and Anna Maria de Salva from the new Burson agency on the pod next week. So we'll be able to get to a lot of uh, more detail from them. But uh, just update us on what's going on this week. Absolutely. So WPP held their uh, capital markets day this week. That's the holding company, obviously, of those two firms. Yes. And a lot of interesting developments. You know, it's sort of interesting in that we were talking about Davos in recent podcasts and then, you know, the only topic, not just the number one topic being AI. It was also the number one topic at uh, capital markets day, talking about the investments they're making in a pretty hefty uh, a few hundred million pounds over the next three years. Um, following up, Publicis Group doing the same thing a week earlier in their earnings report. 
but also uh, talking about how they're streamlining the various agencies within WPP across the different types of services. And now uh, it's going to be split up through what they're calling six powerful agency networks. And one of them is Burson. Uh, and and that's interesting because I, I think at one time you might not have seen a PR network be included among a top six. Uh, holding company-wide. And those six uh, agency networks are going to represent 90% of WPP's revenue on a yearly basis. So besides Burson, it's AKQA, Ogilvy, which of course also has a pretty hefty PR division. VML, Hogarth, and Group M, the media buying giant. So I think it's it's really a recognition of just how big Burson is going to be uh, within the holding company WPP, which which for a long time was the biggest in the world, they also said they are looking to establish Burson as, and this these are their their terms, a leading global strategic communications agency, bringing together the two legacy brands. Um, so interesting to see the new Burson agency get among top billing among the agencies across the board at WPP. It was, and he didn't quite go and say that they were going to be the biggest in Not the world, quite, no. did he? He was uh, hedging his bets a bit on that. He's saying they're going to be a top two, which is kind of what we said last week, isn't it? We said it's neck and neck between them and Edelman. But uh, you're right, that's really interesting, those six groups. A decade ago, those would have been six totally different names, right? Yeah. You'd have had JWT in there. Yep. You'd have had Wonderman in there. Why you know, Why not? Yeah, you, you know, so it just shows. And you'd have had maybe Mindshare and Mediacom, you know, from the media side, whereas now it's uh, Group M and AKQA has swallowed up Grey. They, they called it Grey KQA for, for a little bit, didn't they? And so, yeah, it is interesting to see how the holding company has developed. And we'll see whether... That uh, impresses the analysts, right? Because that's what this was all about, because mm-hmm. their share price is uh, in a bit of a hole. And uh, Mark Reed and the t- senior team there have got to convince everyone that uh, that business is set up uh, for success in the future. And you're right, it was interesting with the AI investment. Yeah, I think they're saying they're putting a bit more in than Publicis, but Publicis might say they're... Uh, Ahead of the game. They what, might say they've already established it. So. What was their robot called? Marcel, I Marcel, believe. that's yeah. right. He's been around for about six years. So everyone laughed at Marcel when it came out, but they're not laughing well, because now. Because it came they? out on the heels of that uh, short animated film, Mar- Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. <laughs> okay. I think people drew a line between the two. <laughs> maybe they, just me. Maybe they should have called it Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, moving on. More next week on that story. Um, it's Black History Month starting on the first yeah. of February, and we've done a bunch of diversity content last week. Our DEI digest. We talked about it in last week's pod, but we also re- released a, a great piece of content um, today. Actually, speaking on Wednesday, the hidden history family tree. So, tell us a bit about that, Frank. It's a really cool feature, and um, it's one of these features that even if you think you know a bit about history you will uh, learn something, and not just PR history, but history in general. So let me call out uh, one of my favorite profiles from it, and that was uh, Bayard Rustin, who I did not know was the actual, uh, you know, on-the-ground events organizer of uh, Martin Luther King's uh, March on Washington. The more you read about it, the more impressive it is. Yeah. He was he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom posthumously in 2013, and truly just just a, a fascinating character to read about. And there are all other kinds, um, uh, people with just just from different backgrounds, different you know professional experiences that are featured in here. Um, you know whether that's Jesse Lewis, it, it's really it's a great list. So you should check it out. Yeah, as speaking as the person who edited those down. Um, 
trying to get those stories into 60 words was yeah, kind I, of difficult. <laughs> they are particularly, and his, his, his story is yeah. incredible. You really should check that out. But yeah, he kind of set the template for modern events with, yeah, that, that, uh, with that event. You know, he really, he was on top of every single detail. Was, yeah. As you imagine, a lot of layers there. Um, I drew the line at uh, summing up Frederick Douglass in 60 words. I right. decided to leave him out. Um, but, but he was another one we could have put on the list. Two of them are still alive. One, uh, I think is it's Jesse, I think is 99 years old. And um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a great list and we'd love to know what you think. And it's a great tip of the hat to... Some of the people who don't, you know, when people talk about the history of PR, they talk about the same old names. And frankly, they're always um, white, old white guys, right? Well, these are the, the hidden um, figures who really developed the industry as well from the black, uh, Hispanic and Asian American Pacific Islander there's communities. Also, yeah, there's also a great history that, um, you know, isn't as told as often as it should be about how prominent people in business and, and sports and entertainment management and, and all of these various areas came out of African-American newspapers in various cities. Uh, and they got started there and, um, you know, sort of found their ways into other industries via the expertise they had gathered doing that. And um, there's a few on the list that fit the bill there. And it's it's really um, it's another interesting trend, I think, across industries that that happened uh a long time ago and was very formative for a lot of industries too as they branched out yeah a lot of crossover with journalism yeah. that was when uh, you know journalism and pr were indelibly linked as we know now there are six pr people to every journalist and so. they're all emailing me yeah every day, they are they're all like. emailing frank yeah. on a daily basis <laughs> It's a good line, that one, Frank. Um, all right, let's catch. I'm sure, I, I'm sure I'll hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> we had some, we broke some other great stories this yeah, week. This is a good week story, and we've got our uh, our stand-in web um, producer extraordinaire, Ewan Larkin, and he broke this one. So yeah, shout out to Ewan. Ewan, maybe you just can you talk well, about? Well, he was involved in special guest here. He was involved in one of these, the Under Armour one. Yeah, uh, well, let's do well, AT&T AT AT and then you can weigh in on Under Armour. AT&T, a big account, um, I think raised some eyebrows by appointing the Atlanta-based agency Jackson Spaulding as its lead PR agency after a large competitive RFP process that went on for a lot of last year. Uh, Jackson Spaulding is going to work alongside uh, Brunswick Extension PR and Ketchum. Now, what that means is that the longtime agency partner AT, uh, for AT&T of uh, Fleischmann Hillard, going back decades, uh, is going to be transitioning away from doing communications work for uh, this part of the company. Now, really like a never say never attitude from Fleischmann on this. And, and maybe there will be work with AT&T for them in the future or with other parts of the company remains to be seen. But for now, uh, Jackson Spaulding is going to be the lead PR firm uh, for AT&T working with the other agencies we mentioned. That's a big that's a big milestone because Fleischmann's worked with them since 93. And it was John Graham who, who ran Fleischmann, had a per very close relationship with the AT&T CEOs over the years. So that's quite a psycho psychological thing. John Saunders was the CEO at Fleischmann, was pretty sanguine about it, wasn't he? Yeah. He said it was a much smaller account nowadays, but then I've never known an account being lost that was bigger than it used to be. Have you? Uh, that's very, funny, that, isn't very it? true. Um, and they've kept some of it in the Omnicom group, so right, with Ketchum. Ketchum. So yeah, yeah. yeah. 
All right, so Ewan, tell us about uh, Under Armour and Shadow. Now, yeah. Ewan, did you um, did you flash the you know I'm also from Baltimore card to get this <laughs> Under Armour story or how? No, did this work? no, that actually didn't play a factor. No. Um, but yeah, Under Armour has brought on Shadow <laughs> for uh, some consumer, uh, some influencer, and some sub celebrity media relations support. Um, that's in addition to continuing its relationship with Edelman, which is the global PR AOR. But I think Under Armour has brought in Shadow to kind of bolster its brand storytelling around its signature athletes. We know, obviously, they've partnered with Steph Curry for a long time. They're making different moves. They've just brought on their first flag football global ambassador, uh, Diana Flores. So I think they're looking to do some innovative brand storytelling around those efforts. And they're also trying to branch out into a couple different areas. Um, I'd spoken to an Under Armour spokesperson about they're trying to make some moves in the luxury fashion space. So I think this AOR appointment supports that as well. They've also hired Midnight Dawn, which is Steph Curry's personal PR agency. They've hired them and brought them on board to support the Curry brand. Um, as you may know, it's noted in the story that Under Armour actually like signed a new deal with Steph Curry last year that has him much more involved in business operations, and he'll be at the brand for a long time now, too. So I think they're bringing that on as well. But it's really just kind of a, a more surround sound approach to communications. Under Armour's new CEO is the impression that I'm getting. So you have Edelman taking on an expanded scope, you have Shadow, and then you also have Midnight Dawn. So it'll be exciting to see what they do from a comms perspective and, and, and if they bring on any more agencies, actually. So you and you have a Baltimore connection. Is there anywhere in the world you don't have a connection to? Because you, you've you kind of claim Ireland, you claim Sweden, you claim Dubai, New Jersey. I mean, you're a, you're a real citizen of the world, aren't you? Yeah, I guess you could say that. I'm in a, I'm in some people call it the sixth borough these days. I'm in Jersey City as well too. So I'm the only person that calls it the sixth borough, by the way. But uh, yeah, I've, I've I've turned up in a couple different places, Copenhagen as well. I study abroad. I like to I like to bounce around a little oh, bit. Oh, Denmark, sorry. Yeah. Um, anyway, the most important thing is you're a Manchester United supporter. But anyway, uh, Frank, back to the big uh, accounts. UNICEF, that was another one. Yeah, UNICEF. Also, credit to you and on this one. Really interesting. um, Another organization bringing on a range of agencies, and they have hired Allison, formerly known as Allison and Partners, of course. Uh, Havas Red and Citizen Relations for Global PR Support. They had a full six-month-long review so it, it, this is a lot of really interesting elements of this going to be working on uh, global brand and reputation, management and maintenance, media and PR strategies. And the range of it is just dozens of countries, including the U.S., the U.K., the UAE, uh, France and Germany and India. Uh, it's looking like this will be an arrangement that is in place for at least two years, though there's no budget details disclosed on it. Okay. Well, well, good stories. Uh, You know where to come for the big breaking stories. It's PRWeek.com. And uh, let's get into the big issue of the week. Can you be a bagel if you haven't got a hole? Frank, what's your view and why are we talking about it? Well, uh, I'll (laughs) tell you why we're talking about it. Bagels being an inanimate uh, object rather than a human. But anyway, I thought I'd give them some personality, you know. (laughs) Right. Okay. So um, Philadelphia cream cheese had a great, uh, I don't know if it's fair to call this a stunt, but an interesting fun campaign Uh, following up International Bagel Day. uh, They are trying to put an end to the international menace of holes in bagels, uh, where they say some of the spread gets lost and gets a little. uh, That's part of the fun, Frank, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm trying bagels to, on Wednesdays at Haymarket. I try to limit my bagel intake yeah. if we're going okay. to be honest. Um, so um, it's an interesting campaign. Uh, they work with Zeno Group and uh, Toronto-based agency Rethink 
uh, to roll out the idea. Um, and uh, basically, you can get these bagels at various bagel places. Uh, there was one of our uh, reporters pointed out, not actually any in New York City. And you wonder what the response would have been to a wholeless bagel uh, uh, you York don't know why those New Yorkers up, do you? You don't. You don't. Not and not about bagels. So no. uh, anyway, so the each they're called the bagel hole, W H O L E. If that you know, so, did you see what they did there, Frank? Yeah. Uh, so they're all going to be available until February twelfth. This has all been done with the polo mint before, hasn't it? The mint with the hole, you know. You don't have polo, lifesavers. So. Lifesavers. We call them lifesavers. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Kevin, what do you think? Can you be a Can you be a bagel without a hole? I mean, uh, yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's called a bialy. Oh, right. Uh, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, and we would have had bialys all the time. And if you got trouble getting that uh, cream cheese on your fingers because of the hole, then step up and get a bialy. Okay. Yeah, I have trouble getting it all over my beard these days, but that's probably just my age and my sort of, you know. Well, I so I was Fall curious. Into senility. I was <laughs> curious with this campaign if they were playing off the craze of that that scooped bagel guy. Remember that he was like a TikTok sensation from a few months ago. Uh, he's, uh, he's he's this fellow from Los Angeles, and he goes to a uh, deli in New York and says he wants a scooped gluten free bagel, and they uh, very nicely tell him to <laughs> go someplace else. Guy just looks at me and goes, "I'm not scooping your fucking bagel, bro." It's like, dude, <laughs> that's how I want it. It's like, get the fuck out of here with that shit. I was like, all right, on to the next one, I guess. He posted about it on TikTok and said it was one of the most stressful experiences of his life. Well, that's New York. Yes, that's why is. we love it. So, um, yeah, well, you can have endless fun with this sort of stuff. And, yeah. and it's, it's always good to write it's about. A, it's it's, a it's good to write about for, a few stories like this. It's like, a neat campaign for Philadelphia, which yeah. is kind of an old school brand. So. I like Philly cheese, actually. I like it. I like it in those foil wrappers it makes it taste better for some reason i don't know why but it's a psychological experience of it's not the same out of a plastic anyway yeah. <laughs> enough about my uh, psychology and uh, and um, well what yeah. flavor are you generally going oh, for? oh plain. plain yeah yeah the cream cheese yeah Fair enough. yeah well i like a bit of chive a bit of chive yeah some scallions going yeah. Yeah. yeah of course you, we should be asking you about this, man. What would you have with your pierogies? A bit of, bit of oh gosh, where to where to begin? Um, <laughs> well, you know, it it depends what you know how you make them to start, oh. and and you know, my, this is a whole new podcast. Yeah, so Frank, Frank, the the Polish. We food might need influencer. another 20, 20 more minutes on this, but, but my my grandmother would her recipe would be to boil them and to fry them. Right. Most people do one or the other, but she would do both, which creates kind of a hard exterior. And then you can, uh, I think, traditionally you would have them with butter. Uh, but in, in terms of toppings, you know, cream cheese works. Absolutely. I think anything with chives and scallions works. Got it. Uh, there's some new and creative ways of, of eating them that I don't quite agree with. I'm uh, sure we'd find them in Brooklyn, wouldn't we? Oh, you yeah, absolutely. Around your neighborhood, you, especially. In, in you know, I've always thought of you as kind of hard exterior, soft interior. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, not quite as, you know, a nice guy. But, you know, with the with the, the news editor edge to him. And then filled with cheddar cheese. Like <laughs> a, really, so, yeah. But only on holidays. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's, let's enough of this nonsense. Let's talk about people moves just to finish up uh, the uh, pod. Yes. Sorry, I got, I got yeah. so excited to talk about parades. I closed my iPad. Craft cheese. Uh, yeah, so we, we have a few of them uh, to point out this week. And the big one is KPMG uh, has a new global head of public affairs, and that's Dan Koningsberg. 
that's as of January 22nd. Uh, so what he's going to be working on is, um, you know, really advancing the organization's public policy activities with with influencers, whether they're academics or policymakers. And by the way, this is something that's coming up a lot all, all the time. Mm. I was like, how do you define an influencer? What's an influencer? You know, and, and uh, you generally don't see academics thrown in that group. But in this case, it makes it makes sense. But also talking about the public policy committees of the large professional service networks. Anyway, Konigsberg replaces Stephen Alice, who is going to retire from the company uh, at the end of March. Now, before KPMG, he was the senior MD of corporate governance and public policy at Deloitte Touche Tomatsu. We also have some other ones. These are really interesting and they're not, you know, people moves in a traditional sense, but Prozac Partners, this sort of got lost last week in the... Yeah, uh, and all the persons. Yeah, the the major uh, BCW uh, Hill and Knowlton merger, but they've made a minority investment in a creative communications agency named Becca, uh, and that's the fourth general partner stakes investment uh, that Prosec has made. Of course, that's the really well-regarded financial uh, communications firm. And yeah, are they on your radar, Kevin? Prosec. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Prosec's good partners with us. In fact, they're hosting our event up in Boston on uh, on the there 12th. You go. Did I mention it was about AI? You did. Yes, you did. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> you should go into marketing. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jen Prosec's fantastic. Let me... And uh, built an amazing agency there. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Let me shout out one more. And that's at uh, Greeno Communications, uh, where the founder and CEO, Phil Greeno, is moving to the role of executive chairman and stepping aside um, as Nikki Festa O'Brien becomes the new CEO and the first woman to lead the firm. Yeah, and talking of AI and influence, we've got our Dashboard 25 list coming out next Tuesday. And there will be a couple of academics on that, Frank, because you, you can get some really good information there. And people who from agencies have created user guides. So it's well worth checking out for people who want to dig into the AI topic more. Maybe your members, uh, Kevin, because some of these people are, do, are doing stuff, real stuff, but they've got some great guides and resources as well. So it's a, it's a list worth checking out. And our own Brandon Dura has done a, an excellent feature on AI trends as well to uh, sort of uh, partner that. So look out for that on Tuesday. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. And, um, yeah, it was good to find out more about the Financial Communication Society. No, I didn't know much about it, so thanks for that. And good luck with all your events coming up. Thanks very much. Enjoy being here. Great time. Yeah, it's great to have you. Don't forget our own event, the Oscars of PR, Frank's favorite title for an event, the PR Week Awards on the 14th of March. It's our 25th awards. It's going to be massive. You've got to be there. Be there, be square. It's down in the, down in the financial district, actually, on Wall Street. It's Cipriani. So going to be a great night. Crisis Communications Conference. That's in D.C. on the 18th of April. We have our big global awards in London on the 15th of May. Healthcare Awards and Conference, 21st of May in New York City. Really excited about that one. Great lineup of speakers. And Women of Distinction will be celebrating that on the 30th of May in New York. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week.